a show of hands if I could. How many of you have ever gotten a gift and you've thought after you've opened it, you've thought yourself this question, you thought this question, does this person even know me at all? Anybody? You got that? All right. I think all of us have had that, right? Um, and I, honestly, I've gotten that so many times and I think I'm a fairly easy person to shop for. Uh, I mean, you know, I mean, I love baseball. I love guitars. I love books. I love shoes. That's a separate sermon. Um, you know, all of those things will work for me. But I can ima- you can imagine what happened to me one time I, I got a gift. Someone mailed it to me from another part of the country, and I opened it up, and it, it was gloves. Like, I live in Florida. Like, I, I don't even know if anybody here owns gloves. Like, like, what would I do with the set of gloves? Anyway, but then people think, like, you get a gift, and they say, hey, if you don't like it, you can return it. Like, so now it ceased to be a gift, and now you've given me an errand for my birthday. Thank you. Um, and, uh, but, but you know what I love? I love gifts that are actually, like, gifts that I didn't even know I needed or wanted until I opened the box. And it was like, this is perfect. You know, like uh, two Christmases ago, uh, my wife uh, got me a gift and I opened it up and it was like, a, it was a label maker. And, uh, and it was like the perfect gift because I'm, you know, I'm like a really organized person. Uh, some call it an illness, but it's just really being organized. Um, but I tell you what, that was like the perfect gift for me. A few years ago, my dad bought me a gift for my birthday. He bought me a cross pen. Those of you that know like about really nice pens, a cross pen is a really nice pen which is something that I needed because, uh, think about it, you know, I officiate weddings and stuff, and, and what happens is, is that, you know, you're wearing a nice suit, and uh, when you got to do, a, like, when you, you officiate a wedding, you have to have two people sign the marriage license. So I'll officiate a wedding, and then I'll, ha- I'll be wearing a nice suit, and then the guy's wearing a tux, and sh- the, the matron of honor's wearing a beautiful dress, and then i got to ask them to sign the marriage license, and it's just nice to take out a pen that's like a really nice pen. And then they sign it and say, wow, it's a nice pen. Thank you very much. It is a nice pen. I put it back in my jacket. And so, but it's just a weird thing when you, like, you know, you're wearing a nice suit. They're wearing a tux and, 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 and a nice dress. And then that you need to sign this very official document of these people that you love. And you hand them a pen that says, try C. Alice. You know, it's just very weird. It's just a very weird situation. Um, and, 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 you know, and, and that's why the thing is about gifts is that gifts tell you um, a lot about the they speak about the giver of the gift. Um, and God, if you're not aware, is a giver of gifts. He doesn't give the gifts, interestingly enough, just for our benefit, but instead he gives them for the benefit of others as well. And that's just what's so amazing about the gifts that he gives us. And the goals of the gifts that he gives us is our maturity in Christ. And that's what's in your notes. If you have your notes, your pen, your Bible, you want to get all that ready. Um, but the first verse we're going to look at in your outline is in 1 Corinthians 12. And here's what it says. It says, there are different kinds of spiritual gifts, but the same Spirit is the source of them all. There are different kinds of service, but we serve the same Lord. God works in different ways, but it is the same God who does the work in all of us. A spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other. And in the section that we're going to look at in the book of Ephesians, God is writing, or Paul is writing to to this church about the gifts that God has given to the church. And what is the reason for the gift? As we mentioned, it's our maturity in Christ. That these gifts are given to us for us to grow and become like Jesus. And they aren't gifts that we're given at times that have like no practical use. These gifts have huge use because they're gifts that are used to draw us closer to God, to to create a, a more understanding of God, and then, of course, to make us more like Him as we mature and grow uh, in our faith. And you know, the thing is, is that as we begin to look at these gifts in depth, you know what I can promise you? is that you won't see these gifts the same way. In fact, not only that, but you won't even see yourself the same way because you'll begin to see yourself for who you really are. And that is a gift to the church. 
a gift to the body of Christ at large. That is, when we use our gifts, we're a blessing to others. When others use their gifts, they're a blessing to us because all of these gifts are given to us so that we grow to maturity. And that's where we're going to start in verse chapter 4, starting in verse 7. And it says, But to each of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, When he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. And he who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Now if you pause there and give me your attention, what I want to do is talk about these gifts that God has given to the church and these four offices that God has given to the church in uh, chapter, chapter 4 and specifically in verse 11. Where the first group that he talks about, if you're taking notes in your outline, is the, this gift, this office of apostles. Now, people ask me at times if there are apostles today. And my answer to that question is, is really, well, yes and no. Um, no, there are not apostles like the 12 that followed Jesus and wrote the scriptures. The Bible tells us that those apostles and prophets are the foundation of the church. And that, that group is unique and that group is gone. So if somebody shows up to you and says, hey, by the way, I'm an apostle and I'm writing a new book of the Bible I'd like you to read. The thing you want to do in that situation is run as fast as you can away from that weirdo. Um, but here's the thing. But the word apostle is the Greek word apostolos. And what it means is it, it just it's, it means one who is sent, one who is sent on behalf of another person. Um, that word apostolos in Latin is the word missionary. And so while there are no apostles like the 12 apostles, there are apostles in the sense of missionaries who are sent out to other cultures and other places who are there where they are called to leave everything that they know and go into a new area and reach people for Jesus. And many times they're learning a new language, they're adapting to new, a new culture, and they are living like the people that they're trying uh, to reach. Um, uh, when I was in college, I went on a short-term missions trip to Haiti. And um, we were going to be in the mountains of Port-au-Prince um, building bunk beds and doing all this work at an orphanage that was connected to this church that we were working with, which I was really excited about. What I wasn't really excited about, if I could be honest with you, was the food situation that they were going to be serving. And um, so I wasn't really sure what the right thing to do was because um, I really wasn't excited about the cuisine that I was going to be eating in my, during my stay there. So I decided that I had, they, we were allowed one suitcase. And um, so we said, OK, so I packed like the minimal amount of clothes that I needed and I stuffed the rest of the suitcase with Chef Boyardee, um, like cans of spaghetti and whatever. And then and also several packages of candy. Um, if you're not aware, I single handedly introduced the country of Haiti to Twizzlers, um, if you're not aware. Um, but anyway, one of the things that happened, and I don't know if this is the whole country, but in the area that we were, man, they were like flies everywhere. And, um, and one of the things that we were told when we were there was to not, like, wave your hand over the food, like to shoo away the flies, because that's considered rude culturally, because it means that you don't like the smell of the food. Um, and so I remember, like, we were there. This is the last day that we were there, and uh, we were all having lunch together, and we got uh, some, like, a little mound of rice and then some red beans, which under normal circumstances is right up my alley. And... Um, but here's what happened is that as we were not ready, to, we hadn't eaten yet, and um, this fly lands on my mound of rice. 
and it just starts climbing the mountain of rice. I mean, and it's just climbing like it's climbing Everest. And then it finally gets to the top and it looks around like I can put the take this off my bucket list. I climb the mountain and then it starts its descent on the other side. And so and now there's like I don't know if you ever have like things, situations in life and you start having a conversation with yourself. And it's not just you like talking to yourself. It's like you and another part of you talking like there's like the rational side of you and then maybe a not so rational side of you. Well, the rational side of me was saying, Bob, you're a missionary here. Don't offend these people that you've been serving. And then the other part of me said, Bob, do you know what a fly does every time it lands? It uses the restroom. This must be stopped because you're out of Boyardee. And uh, so I, I knew I had a situation. So I, I'm like, what am I going to do? And then just because I'm, uh, you know, I, I, I'm a resourceful person, um, I, I, had, I came up with my solution. I just, uh, I, I, I leaned forward and I clapped my hands and I said, praise the Lord, let's eat. And uh, the people that we were there were so excited that I was like so appreciative of their hospitality and the fly went to be with Jesus. And um, so it really it worked out. Um, but but unlike me, I'm glad you like that. Um, but listen, <laughs> uh, you know, there's some stories that I wish weren't true. Uh, but here's the thing that apostles do. Apostles are gifts to the church because without them, the gospel would never have spread all over the earth. Um, and we're here today because there were apostles, missionaries, who saw what was happening, that there was a new world, America. And they said, we have an imperative, a gospel imperative to go and share the good news of Jesus with this new world. And so people came, you know, missionaries came from Europe, came from other different parts of the world to to teach us, to, to share with us and other, you know, those who have been, been here, um, you know, here, you know, centuries before, to teach us the gospel. And that's, what, that's why we're here today. We're the result of that missionary work that took place. Paul, even though he was Jewish, he, called, he was called an apostle to the Gentiles. And that's what we, uh, there in 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says, For there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all, to be testified in due time, for which I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am speaking the truth in Christ and not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And you know, the thing that's amazing is that God still calls missionaries. He still calls people to leave everything and serve others and to, to lead them to know Christ. And here's the thing, is that even if we're not called to go, and God calls us to stay where we are, we're still all called to serve God wherever it is that we are. And so listen, on the back of your connection card, you can make a decision that says, you know what, maybe I'm not called to go, but I'm called to stay, but I am called to be involved in some way because the Bible says that we're a body. And if we're a body, then health in a body is when all the parts of the body are operating in the way that they're supposed to operate. And so the way we do that is by using the gifts and talents that we have to serve the Lord and serve one another. So apostles, the second group, number two on your list is prophets. Another question that I get is, are there still prophets today? And again, my answer to that is, well, yes and no. And I know that with answers like that, I should go into politics. Um, and, uh, but here's what I mean. The answer is no, there are not prophets in the sense of like the Old Testament prophets. Because the office of a prophet in the biblical sense is someone who spoke on behalf of God and many times was foretelling the future. By the way, if you were a prophet in the Old Testament sense, you had to be right 100% of the time. Because if you weren't right 100% of the time, they killed you. 
And that was just their way of saying, sorry, you're wrong. And, uh, and this is what it says in Deuteronomy 18. It says, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in, my name, in the name of another god, that prophet shall die. Because they recognized that the, uh, someone who stands up to speak on behalf of God has a level of influence and authority. And if that person starts saying things that don't come to pass, then God has not spoken to that person, and they need to wipe that guy out before he leads people astray. And listen, the Old Testament prophets were speaking the words that would become much of the Old Testament. When you read the major and minor prophets in, uh, in, in the scriptures, when you read like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, uh, when you read Zechariah or, or Haggai or um, Zephaniah or Habakkuk or any of those books, what you're reading is a collection of the prophecies that they gave. And these are prophecies that came to pass that were collected that now uh, make up what, it, what we call uh, the Old Testament. But there's no need for prophets um, in that sense anymore. And you, uh, the question is why? And the question is, is because God has already done speaking in, 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 the, in the biblical sense. Now, let me read you this passage from Hebrews chapter 1 to make, the, to make my point. It says this. In the past, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets at, at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom he made the universe. Now, I want you to pause. I want you to think about that for a minute. And that is God uses the prophets to write his word. But here's what he says in Hebrews one. The final word that God gives will be through his son. You want to know when you get to the end of the book of Revelation at chapter 22, who gets the last word? Jesus gets the last word. And not only that, Revelation takes us out into eternity. It's not like Revelation takes us out to like the year 2500. And then we say, well, what happens after that? Well, God will start talking to somebody else when we get closer. Well, no, instead it takes us out to eternity and you can't improve on eternity. <coughs> Pardon me. And so what happens is, is that now Jesus gets the last word. The last time God is going to speak, it's going to be through his son. That's why the prophets that are mentioned in the New Testament are very different than prophets that are mentioned in, uh, in, in the Old Testament. And that's why when the guys on the bikes show up at your house and they want to tell you about another testament of Jesus, you can tell them it's okay. I'm, I've got the two volumes set. I'm good. Old Testament, New Testament, I'm good. Um, and the reason you can say that is, is because there is no uh, God-inspired other testament. There's just what the, what the scriptures that you have, that I have, that we have, that are, in, that are inspired of God because the Bible is complete. So there aren't prophets like there were uh, before. And so, but let me just say this. Even though we don't have the office of prophets, we do have what the Bible calls the gift of prophecy. And that is, um, that is that people have a prophetic gift. Now, the thing that's important for us to understand is this, is that there are, um, in the Old Testament period, so when you think about like an Old Testament prophet like Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, for example, they were foretelling the word of God. They were speaking things that had not happened yet, and they were saying, this is what God is going to do. That's foretelling the word of God. Um, now, in the New Testament sense, what prophets did was not foretell the word of God. They would foretell the works of God. They were simply not foretelling this is what's going to happen. They would say, this is what God has said. And they would simply speak the word of God in a way that ministered to people. And that's the thing, that, that the, the key difference. Now, here's, let me give you this verse, and this is an important one, in 1 Corinthians 14. It says, but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. That's what a New Testament prophecy really is. It's someone speaking forth the word of God that speaks edification, exhortation, and comfort 
to men. Now, what do I mean by that? So a prophet who speaks, this is what their words should do. Their words should edify, exhort, and comfort. Their words should edify. That means this, that their words should build us up. That's what edification is, that we're built up. It means that our faith should grow as a result of us hearing the words that they speak. Also, their words should exhort us, exhortation. If edification builds us up, exhortation stirs us up. And that is that we are exhorted, we're challenged to do something with what we hear, to put feet to our faith. And then thirdly, it comforts us. And that is, it will, the words of a prophet will comfort us, they will lift us up. They will remind us of the goodness of God and His attributes and that no matter what it is that we're going through, what it is that we've experienced in our lives or are experiencing now, that God is good, that He is with us, that He will never leave us and never forsake us. The problem that comes is that every time, you know, I see a quote-unquote prophet on quote-unquote Christian television, and I say quote-unquote because we're not really sure if it's Christian or not, um, at least what's called Christian television, is that a prophet comes on there and starts bumming people out about how the natural disasters that we're experiencing are a result of America's disobedience and we're all going to hell in a handbasket and all of this. And uh, now, this, things may be bad. America may be turning from God or, or, or whatever you want to say. But the prophet's role in, in a New Testament sense is not to predict the future. That's a misunderstanding of what, of what a prophet is. A prophet in the New Testament sense speaks the words of God in a way that builds up, stirs up, and lifts up. Edifies, exhorts, and comforts. When we were starting Calvary now almost ten years ago, um, we had told everybody what God had called us to do. People were very excited about it. And then one day I woke up in the morning and I thought, what in the world did I get myself into? I don't know if you've ever had that, but I, I did, and I thought, what in the world did I get myself into? Did God really speak to me? Maybe I just had bad pepperoni pizza, and I'm calling that what God said. And, and then there's all this other stuff that God did to show us, but I've forgotten all that. And uh, I get a phone call uh, from a friend, and he, uh, he's a pastor, and he said, Hey, uh, can you go over to your fax machine? And I said, Sure, because I want to send you something. And uh, that's all he said. He said, All right. I said, Thanks. And we hung up. I walk over to the fax machine. Now, some of you are young, and you don't know what a fax machine is. Let me explain that. A fax machine is when you get a piece of paper that you write on and you put it through this machine and then it comes out through a phone line many, many miles away. And you say, why didn't you send them a text that had not been invented yet? And then uh, why didn't you email? Well, people weren't that sophisticated yet. We're like two steps beyond smoke signals at that point. All right. So So here's what happens. So I get the fax. And all the fax is is a Bible verse. That's it. It just is, it said, hey, Bob, I, was, um, I woke up this morning thinking about you, and uh, this is the verse that God laid on my heart that I needed to share with you today. So I said, uh, okay. So I, uh, I looked at it, and, and I, put the, I put the verse in your outline. I want you to check it out. It says, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack or harm you because I have many people in this city. Now, he had no idea what I was thinking about, what I was going through. And my friend does not think of himself as a prophet in any way, but he was given a gift of prophecy at that very moment because that verse spoke something into my life that he had no idea what it could have possibly been speaking. And here's what it did. It edified, it exhorted, and it comforted me. It built me up, it stirred me up, and it lifted me up because that's what prophecy does. Um, now, this happens a lot here because... I had a guy a few weeks ago come up to me and say, um, hey, did, you, did my wife call you? 
And I said, well, what do you mean? I said, he said, because you started talking about something in one of your messages. Because I've been coming here for a few weeks, and every time I come here, you'll start talking about, like, you'll say, maybe it's kind of like this, and you start creating, like, this imaginary scenario. But here's the problem. It's exactly what happened at my house that week. And, uh, and, uh, and then say, so I just want to know, because I didn't call you, did my wife call you? Because you'll say, like, it's kind of like this. You said this to your wife, and that's exactly what I said to her. And then you'll say, and then your wife said this, and that's what she said to me. So I'm trying to figure out, did, did she call you? And I'll say, yes, she did call me, and you're in big trouble, Buster. Uh, and I'll say, no, honestly, uh, no, I don't. But he, listen, that has nothing to do with me. That simply has to do with what happens when you are forth telling the word of God. And the same thing uh, is true with you. Listen, you may not be able to put profit on your business card. You know, what do you do, professional profit? Let me know. You need my services. Uh, but here's what you can do. You can speak words into people's lives that build them up, stir them up, and lift them up. That's what a, that's what a prophet does. So here's the third group. Uh, the third group, which is nearly, not, not nearly as uh, controversial, are evangelists. Um, there's apostles, prophets, evangelists. These are people who love to share the gospel with others. And uh, it doesn't matter what the conversation is. They can turn anything into an evangelistic invitation with total ease. And uh, not that everybody has this gift, but we're all called to share our story. And, and let me tell you why. Because when something great happens to you, you just can't help but share it. You can't help but tell someone. A few years ago, I, I went to go see the Red Sox in spring training. And uh, through, uh, I went with a friend of mine, and he knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody. And through this amazing series of circumstances, I sat in, the, in a skybox at this spring training game. But not only did I sit in a skybox, I sat in the skybox of the guy who built the stadium that we were in. And so I'm watching the game with the guy who built the stadium. And so we're talking, and he starts telling me about all of the sporting events that he had been to. And not just sporting events, but like major sporting events. Like, oh, I was at Game 7 of this World Series. I went to the NBA Finals. Um, I, I went to, um, you know, the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, you know, I went to this, this Super Bowl and that Super Bowl, and then I went to this, I don't exactly know how NASCAR works, but whatever the big race is where they all drive in a circle for like eight hours, whatever the big one is, that one, um, I don't know how driving in a circle ever became a sport, but anyway, we'll let that one go. Um, and then he went to the Kentucky Derby one time, and then he says, have you ever been to the Kentucky Derby? And I said, no, but when I was in high school, I worked at a Kentucky Fried Chicken, does that count? And, uh, which he told me no. And, um... But then, so, but now here's the thing. I didn't have to, like, poke him to start telling me what, 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 what he was excited about. He was excited about all these events that he had been to, and it just came out. And then what happened is, is that he started telling me, he said, so tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, I started telling him, you know, just a little bit about me. And, and, and the first thing I told him is how, at 19 years old, I became a Christian. And Jesus changed my life. And that's like, you know, everything up until then doesn't really matter. And after that is kind of what matters. But, but that was like the, the pivotal moment. And here's the thing, and not because I, I do not consider myself an evangelist. I'm much more of a teacher than I am an evangelist. But listen, all of us are called to share the story of how Jesus has changed our life. And here's the reason why. The reason is this, is because no one can argue with a changed life. People can argue theology, and they can argue philosophy, and they can argue all kinds of things. But no one can argue with a person who's standing before them, whose life has been changed by the power of God. 
because everyone wants their life to change. The problem is most people don't know how it can change. And the, the issue is you don't actually change your life. Jesus is the one who changes your life. And so what he does is he puts the message in you so that you can share that message with others. And that's why in your notes it says, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. And listen, the evangelist is a gift to the church because if there was no evangelist, there would be no Christians. If there was no, listen, the reason that you became a Christian is because someone used the gift of evangelism to speak to you. Or maybe you became a Christian here and me or someone else who was standing behind this pulpit began to share the gospel. That was the gift of evangelism that was at work and you responded to it. That's why Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 4 in your notes, he says, but you keep your head in all situations, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist and discharge all the duties of your ministry. And that is our role as well. To just share our story and how the gospel interacted or intersected with our lives and our lives were changed forever. And let me tell you the fourth one. It's apostles, prophets, evangelists, and then pastors and teachers. I want you to note something. He says this, and this is just a little more textual, but uh, he says he gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and he doesn't say some pastors and some teachers. He says some pastors and teachers, and that is because in the original language, those are the same thing. It's really pastor slash teacher, and that it's, it's the same office. And um, this is referring to someone who cares for a local congregation and teaches them the word of God. Now, here's the thing that's important to note is that if you're called to do this, it's not because you've got the title of pastor. It's because this is what you do. You can't help but do it. I was pastoring people. I was teaching people long before I was a pastor teacher. The thing that people love about me and the thing that drives them absolutely crazy about me are the exact same thing. I see everything in my life as an opportunity to teach. Everything. Um, when we put our, our daughter uh, t- to bed at night, um, we, we try to read her a Bible story. or Sometimes we'll read her a book and then we'll read her a story out of her Bible. And um, it takes my wife five minutes. It takes me half an hour. And, uh, and the reason is, is because when there's a Bible in my hand and I have a captive audience, right? I have my daughter under the covers and I'm sitting on the covers. She can't move. And um, I can't help but start teaching. So my, my wife will pick up this and she'll say, okay, Mia, tonight we're going to read the story of, and she'll read the story and she'll close it. And Mia will say, because she, so she always says, that was a great story. And then we'll, she'll pray with her and then, you know, we'll pray with her and then it's over. When I do it, We'll, we'll read a couple of verses and I'll say, okay, Mia, now if you'll pause there and give me your attention. I want to talk to you about these words in the original language. And, I'll, and then we'll start going into this. Because we'll, we'll start like really, we'll, we'll get hardcore into this. And I'll say, Mia, okay, you know, we got to start back. Let's begin at ancient Mesopotamian culture. And so we'll start there, talking about ancient Mesopotamian culture. We'll begin to move into the prophetic significance of each piece of the furniture. In the tabernacles, the children of Israel were leaving Egypt to the promised land as the place of worship was moving. And each piece had a prophetic significance. By that time, I look over and she's totally asleep. And I think, like, you're probably thinking, wow, I've had that experience too. You talk and I fall asleep. Um, I had that. I had someone say that to me one time. They said, Pastor, I've been so blessed by your ministry. I said, really? She said, yeah, I used to not be able to fall asleep, but then I started downloading your podcast. And uh, now I sleep like a baby. And I thought, wow, that's, you're resting in the Lord. That's good. Um, but, here, but here's the deal. Listen, pa- you know, pastor teachers, they teach. They instruct people in the word of God. But here's the thing. This is the this key. 
It's different than just being a teacher. Just being a teacher, you're trying to dispense as much information as possible, and then you walk away and that's it. A pastor teacher is different. A pastor teacher isn't trying to just give you uh, stuff that's informational, but they're trying to give you informational, information in an applicational way. Because information doesn't change your life. It's information that's applied to your life that causes us to rethink what we're doing, turn from what we're doing, and turn to God. That's what changes our lives. And that's why in the book of 1 Peter, Peter would write these words, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. So what if you're not a pastor? Listen, can I just share this with you? We're still called to teach others God's word. Well, I'm not going to stand behind the pulpit. Well, then don't teach behind the pulpit. How about you teach from behind the wheel? You're driving your, with your friend to lunch, and they start talking. You start talking about why you do things a certain way, how you operate in your marriage, how you raise your kids, why do you, you know, handle money the way you handle money, why do you talk the way that you talk, and then you're able, and you know what you're doing. You say you're, you're discipling that person. You're talking to that person about what God has done in your life, and you don't realize it, but you're simply shepherding them and teaching them. Dads, can I tell you this? Husbands, can I tell you this? You are a pastor. You're a pastor. You're the pastor of your home. And your congregation is your wife and your kids. And your job as, as a man, according to the Bible, is to shepherd your wife and, and, and your kids and lead them into a relationship that, that they are growing in their faith. Continually growing, continually trusting God more, and continuing them leading them to the place from where, where they are, where we are, to where God ultimately wants us to be. That's why, let me read you two verses. This is a father speaking to a son in Proverbs 3. It says, My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you prosperity. Here's what the Bible says about husbands and what their relationship to their wives should be. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. You see, the point, the point of all of this, prophets, apostles, evangelists, and pastor teachers, why is it so important? Because, and why are they such a blessing to us? Because all four of these offices are called to help us to grow. That's the whole point. I want you to look at verse 12. Here's what it says. He says, He gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, Till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knitted together. By what every joint supplies, according to the effective working, by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now, you see, this is the point. These four offices are a gift to the church to do this, to cause us to grow to maturity in our faith so that we can be a gift to one another, so that we can be challenged to use our gifts in, in the body so that we can have our role in the body. And then here's what happens, is that when we do, we then, 
use our gifts and we become a blessing to others. Others use their gifts and they become a blessing to us. Now, I want you to notice three things. This is the last part of your outline that their influence produces in us. When they are influencing our lives, here's number one, we're equipped to serve. That's why verse 12 says that there's apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. Now, let me share something with you that was a revelation to me as a young Christian, and I believe it would be be a, a big one in your life as well. And that is this, that you are the ministers in this church. They say, no, 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 aren't the pastors ministers? No, you are the ministers. I'm not, the other pastors here are not. You are the ministers. Now, you may have never thought of yourself as a minister, but that's what the Bible says. And that verse 12 that we just read, it says, for the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. That is, the ministers do the ministry. And that is, now here's the thing that the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that the congregation are the ministers and the pastors are the administers. Now, what that means is, is that what we do is, as pastors, we're here to teach you, to equip you, to train you, and then to release you into ministry to make a difference. And so we get you ready, we train you up, and then we just get out of your way. Because ministry is not about one person doing everything. It's not about one guy or, or, or a staff of people that are going about doing ministry while everybody else watches. It's not, you know, that becomes now reduced to a football game. You know, 22 people desperately in need of a break being watched by 50,000 people desperately in need of exercise. And uh, th- that's just not, not the way that, that it's supposed to work. A pastor's role is to equip the congregation to do the ministry. That's what, we're, that's what we're called to do because all of us, listen, we're part of a body. We're part of the body of Christ. And so all of us have gifts. You know, right now in the body, I'm, I'm, I'm the mouth in, in, in this particular context. There's other people that are the hands, other people that are the feet, other people that are listening, that, that are the ears, um, other people that are doing all kinds of things. Um, that are part of the body, that are equally as important. But it's when all of us do what we're supposed to do that the body functions properly. Have you ever had this? Um, have you ever, like, been laying on the couch uh, or watching TV and the, 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 you're looking for the remote and the remote is actually down by your feet, but for whatever reason you don't feel like bending over to get it, so you just try to hit the button with your toe? You ever try to do that, right? You, won't ha- you don't have to admit it. I will admit it for all of us. And here's what happened. You didn't actually hit the right button. You ended up turning it on some weird auxiliary channel, and it took you like two hours to fix the TV. Then your wife's like, what's wrong? And you're like, nothing. What happened? Well, it just was UFOs. I don't know. Something happened. Because you didn't want to actually tell her the truth because your toes were not meant to push the buttons on the remote. Your hands were. And that's why that's what happens when someone who's not equipped to do a certain type of ministry in the body has to do a certain ministry in the body because the, the person who's supposed to do it has decided not to do it. That's why, I'm not going to read the passage, but it's in your notes in 1 Corinthians 12. He says, if the person who's the feet says, hey, I've got, to, I've, you know, says, well, I'm not part of the body because I'm just the feet. He says, well, then where would the walking be? If the ear says I'm not part of the body, where would the hearing be? If the eyes said I'm not part of the body, where would the seeing be? If not, what happens is the, the thought of one person doing everything. I mean, what happens if one, one, like the eye is doing everything? You know, the whole body would look like if it were an eye. I mean, it would look like this. Well, you don't want that. You don't want to look like that. You don't want Calvary to look like that. A weird little green man with an eyeball. Um, and that, that, you, don't, you don't want that. You, we can take Mike Wazowski off. Because people will not pay attention if uh, he's there. And, uh, and listen, that's why we need... Listen, we're here. We're each given gifts and talents for each other. To be who God has called us to be. Um, and that, that's why, listen, people come up to me and they say, Hey, 
Pastor, we would love for you to counsel us. And I would say, now can you? And I'd say, listen, I can, but you don't want me to. And I'd say, well, why is that? And I'd say, well, let me tell you a little story. The story involves the last 10 years at Calvary and every couple that I've counseled. With the exception of one couple, every couple has left our church almost immediately after me counseling them. And I say, so when I hear someone say, Pastor, could you counsel us? Here's what I hear. Pastor, we'd love to leave the church. We're just looking for a good reason. Um, and, which is, which, and you say, well, why is that? Why? Because, listen, I'll be honest with you. I'm not a real, very good counselor. I mean, and now, I, I, I find very high value in counseling. I've been to counseling. I, I, it, it was needed in my life at the time. And, uh, but I, I, I'm not a very good counselor because the counselor wants to hear everything. Right? Like, you go to a counselor and you spend two hours in their office and they're like, okay, we're going to stop here. And then next time, we're going to talk about just your elementary years. Just first through fifth grade. We're going to really delve into that. And then we'll talk more. Well, it's junior high. We're going to block out a weekend for that. And, I, and it's like, you know, you see, someone comes to my office and we start talking. I can size up the situation in about 15 minutes. The problem is people are offended that I can size up the situation in 15 minutes. And in 15 minutes, I'm like, you've got to do these three things. All right, let's, we'll see you later. Like, but I didn't tell my story. And I'm like, oh, that's not necessary. I can size it up, you know. And, uh, and, and, and see, and that's why, and they say, well, he didn't care. And it's like, well, it's not that. And, just, and then the reason is, is because, I, honestly, I'm just not equipped. I'm not built to have the kind of, like, patient endurance that counselors have. And they're just, they're so gifted. They're so patient. They're so caring. I'm none of those things. Um, and, uh, and honestly, and, and it's, it's, it's just not, it's just not who I am. And listen, and here's the thing. That's why when a church is functioning like a body, like really like a body should be, there are people who are gifted and there are many, there are several people in this church who are very gifted counselors. Very gifted counselors. And you know what they do? I mean, they will sit and they will listen and they will listen more and they'll even take notes on what you're talking about so that you'll never have to tell the same story twice because, oh no, I have it here in this second legal pad that I took. I have it. And, uh, and, 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 and listen, and that's why when a church is healthy, the counselors are counseling, the teachers are teaching, the singers are singing, five golden rings and a partridge in a pear tree. I mean, it's awesome. It's awesome because that's the way it's supposed to be. And so, listen, with the, 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 the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher, when they're influencing us, we're equipped to serve. But here's the second thing. When they're influencing us, we are established spiritually. That's why he says in verse 13, till we all come to the unity of the faith. And in verse 14, he says that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine. When you know you're growing spiritually when you are stable. That is, that every new teaching isn't freaking you out or leading you astray. Instead, you are founded and rooted in the Word of God. Paul would write to the Colossians in Colossians 2. Here's what he says. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in Him, rooted and built up in Him, uh, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. This is the reason why we teach through books of the Bible here at Calvary, why we're committed to teaching the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. We may not go in that order, but our goal is to go Genesis to Revelation. And the whole point is this, is that as we teach you the entire Bible, nothing will be able to move you. That's our, our goal. Is that you're not gonna, you're not gonna be able to hear, uh, somebody come up to you and say, hey listen, I've got a, I've got a new teaching, a new doctrine, a new philosophy, and it's like, oh really? 
Uh, what, what's, is it, where, where is that in the Bible? Well, it's not totally in the Bible, but it's about, I got it in my new pamphlet. And like, well, maybe well, I'll keep the Bible, you keep the pamphlet, and, and we'll be done. And, uh, and then you start, and then you can get, get out of there. Um, but but the, the point is this, is that nothing will be able to move you. And that's the whole point, so that you can be strong and steadfast and not be, you know, caught like the waves that are just, that are just moving instead. Um, and that's the reason why we do, if, if you, if, you know, the Calvary Institute stuff that we do, it's the reason why we do it. It's the reason why we set up our growth groups the way that we do. While we do very practical things like marriage and family and parenting, and uh, we'll do very, very um, doctrinal things uh, like talk, we'll talk through like the book of Revelation or the book of Daniel and maybe some things that lean more towards like the doctrine or theological. But we'll, we'll cover the whole gambit from the practical to the doctrinal. And the point is this, is because our goal is to cause you to be strong and stable and sturdy and steadfast in your faith. That is our hope. And listen, and I know, I, I, I like to have a good time. I like to joke around with you and tell you stories and make you laugh. But listen, it's all because I have a belief that a little sugar helps the, uh, uh, helps the medicine go down. But listen, but listen, our goal, the reason we exist, is to equip people for ministry and to make them stable in their faith. And to make them strong in their faith and equipped in their faith. And then the last thing, number three, is, is that we're empowered in our influence. That's how you know that these, these four offices have been influencing your life, is that you're empowered in your influence. You know what makes a Christian influential? Is living what you believe. That's why he says, speaking the truth in love, that we may grow up in all things. That you're able to speak into a person's life and that be influential in their life. You see, maturity comes from those who obey God, who obey the Word of God and seek to follow Christ closely. In James chapter 1, here's what it says. It says, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. It says, do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says, like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard, but doing it, he will be blessed for what he does. Now, this is, this is one of the most important things I'm going to tell you this morning, or this afternoon. And, um, and this is it. People who know a lot, but don't do a lot with what they know, tend to be self-deceived about their level of maturity. Let me say it again. People who know a lot, but don't do a lot, tend to be self-deceived about their level of maturity. Because maturity, what I, the way I define spiritual maturity is doing what I know. And most of us are trained and educated to a level of disobedience. And the key is, real maturity comes when I do something with what I know. Um, I have two kids at home that are growing faster than we can clothe them. Um, and, and here's the thing, is that, you know, for my two kids, my daughter's three and a half, my son just turned a year old, if they just eat what their mom makes for them, physical growth will be automatic. They will never have to worry about it. Spiritual growth is a little different. Spiritual growth is, doesn't happen automatically. Spiritual growth happens when we are intentional about growing and we do the things that promote growth in our lives. That's why in, in our laundry room there's this spot that has all these little pencil markings. And that's where my wife will put my daughter up and she'll measure her and then she'll put a line and she'll put a date. We did that this past week for Mia. 
And we found us in the last two months, she's grown an inch. And she was so excited. She ran out of the laundry room, and I was sitting in the living room reading a book. And she's like, Bobby, Bobby, you're never going to believe it. I grew this much. I'm this much bigger. And she was so excited. And listen, growth is a reason to rejoice. But here's the question for us. What are we going to do? What are the things that are going to cause us to grow this much? Because if we continue to do nothing, let me just be real honest with you, we will be exactly the same. Because duration of time as a Christian does not produce maturity. You say, well, I've been a Christian for 20 years. Maybe, or maybe you've been a Christian for one year 20 times. That's why we've got to actually do something with what we've been taught. So what's going to cause us to grow this much? And then cause us to grow this much? And this much and, and, and to continue to grow to a level of maturity. It's taking steps and following through. It's taking steps of obedience in God's direction and, and following through. On the back of your connection card, I'll show you a couple of things. You know, the reason why we do scripture memory every week at Calvary, you know why? Because here's what the Bible says. It says, your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. That's what the psalmist wrote. So check out what it says. If I can hide God's word in my heart, memorize it, put it in my heart. Here's what I know. He says, I've done that so I won't sin against you. So the more scripture I put in, the less sin I get involved in. So it says to me that scripture memory is probably important. And that's why there's always a verse to memorize every week. Because you do this, if you do this every week, you know what you're going to have? More than 50 verses that you've put in your heart. I can promise you that you're going to be growing. If you're not serving, listen, then just check off a box and get, let someone from our office get in touch with you so you can get plugged in. You know what's going to happen as you start giving out, as you've been taking in the word of God, you're going to start growing spiritual muscles and you're going to see your maturity continue to grow. For some, it's like, you know, we have a membership class happening in a couple of weeks and it's like, I don't know what it means to be committed to a local church. Well, maybe that's a place where you just you go and you tend and you're just going to get some info and you're going to learn. And you're going to grow because of it. And maybe you'll take the step to membership at Calvary. You know what's going to happen? You'll find yourself growing even more because we're going to be united together. Maybe for some of us, it's, uh, it's, it's making the move to Miramar. And, and uh, by the way, um, like we, we put that out last week. We let everybody know that we're moving. Um, the people who checked off connection cards, it was like upwards of like a little over 90% said, hey, we're with you. And I know some of you weren't here last week. Some of you, this is brand news to you. And uh, you should get the, t- the message from last week, and we'll, uh, that'll inform you as to what's going on. But so, so, so here's what happens. Maybe the 10-minute drive is just for you. Maybe the 10-minute drive every week is just for you, for you to say, I'm doing this because I want to grow. And if it's a little difficult for me, then maybe that's even better, because I need to do this so that I can grow. Because spiritual maturity is more important than an inconvenience. Spiritual maturity is more than just being down the street. Spiritual maturity is the thing that's going to drive my life as opposed to um, convenience or location. Or maybe on the back of your card, you can give your life to Jesus and begin a relationship with him if you've never done it. Because that's where the journey begins. Because none of this stuff matters if you don't know God. None of this stuff matters if you never come to Jesus and ask him to forgive you of all of your sins and start walking with him and and allow him to give you a new life because that's why Jesus died is so that we might have life. And that's, that's where it starts. Because my friend, as I've been reminded this week, life is a vapor. The Bible teaches us that we are here today and, um, and then we're not. And that's why Maybe today is your day, the day that you just say, you know what, 
My parents gave me life, but now God wants to give me spiritual life. But today is my, this is my moment to invite God to come into my life, to call out to him and say, I need you, God. Let's pray together. And Lord, we want to thank you for your love, and we want to thank you for these gifts that you've given to the church. We thank you that you call us a gift as we use our gifts and talents to serve you, that we become a blessing to others. And so, Lord, we just pray. We pray that each of us would take a step and make a commitment to grow spiritually, to walk with you, to know you better, to grow up to the place where you want us to be, fully mature, fully grown in Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.